your Division II champions, Grand Valley State. Congratulations to the Lakers. For the sixth time in program history, they are the national champions. Grand Valley has its third national championship in four years. Grand Valley State celebrating a national championship in Division II. It's the Ankara Podcast, presented by the Grand Valley Sports Network. with that, we welcome you back to another edition of the Anchor Up Podcast. Today is Thursday, September 24th. Jake Levy, Tim not back with you. And Tim, uh, as we get ready here for this week, we teased it last week. You said Tyler Bradfield, linebacker for the football team, is going to be something that's never happened before. He did a great job of teasing it. It was officially announced yesterday, so I'll let you tell us about a Tyler Bradfield named to the AFCA Good Works team, which is outstanding. Well, you know, he's the first ever Laker to be honored uh, by the AFCA Good Works team. It's uh, community service, academics, and your play on the field. He's a two-time academic All-American. And uh, what a team. There's 22 members of this team. 11 of the members are from FBS schools. Trevor Lawrence is the headliner of the um, FBS. Tyler's one of three Division II players on on the team. So an incredible honor, and, and he is so deserving. What a great kid. Uh, community service. He helps out in Rockford. He's, he he does all of the Grand Valley State football community service projects. Does others outside of that. Um, gets it done in the classroom. You know, we we talked about his 3.99 GPA. Um, so just a, a great individual, great football player, and we're excited to have uh, Tyler around for one more year. Uh, so for this good work team, you mentioned there were three Division II players on it. Is there a minimum number of D2 players? Are you guaranteed to have that many? How do they do that? No, what they do is they have FBS is half the team. Um, that would be Power Five conferences um, in terms of or the Group of Five schools. And then you have 11 from uh, D2, 1AA, uh, NEIA, and D3. So Tyler's um, in that group of 11 individuals there outside of the FBS schools. Tyler's one of 11 in, in those four four uh, divisions of college football. Huge honor. That's why it leads off our show, the Anchor Up podcast, as presented by Metro Health, your health, our passion. And today is September 24th. We have the second part of that Tim Selgo interview that we'll get to in a little bit. And before we get to that, Tim, though, this second part, he talks a lot about the rise of women's sports at Grand Valley State, how crucial that was in the 2000s to growing into this national powerhouse, and also talks about the adjustments with COVID-19, how it can potentially be a positive. So a lot of really interesting storylines here in the back half of this interview with Tim Selgo. Well, Tim really uh, wanted to build the women's scholarships. Uh, He thought that we could become a national player in women's golf by fully funding the women's golf program, and we did. Lori Stinson uh, built that program. Uh, we were we had a national champion in Melissa Sneller. Uh, we were year in, year out, one of the top four teams in the, in, in the country. And, uh, you know, he really felt like he, he could really build the women's golf program to be a national player. But across the board, in terms of scholarships, he wanted to fully fund the women's athletic teams and, and make sure that they were taken care of. And he thought that Grand Valley State, being 60% female uh, student body, that th- that was indicative of what he wanted to do. And so he, he built those scholarships up. And, you know, if you look at the su- success of our teams, uh, volleyball, women's basketball, track and field, cross country, uh, swimming and diving, golf, uh, tennis, 
Um, we added lacrosse as, as a varsity sport under his uh, leadership. And so our women's teams um, have really excelled and done a great job nationally. They sure have. And, you know, we come back into this week and we'll talk to Tim about all of that stuff a little bit later on in the show. But, you know, the big news last week, it broke after we'd already recorded the podcast, but the Big Ten announcing their football schedules coming back. So a lot of those will, they won't, they have turned out to be they will, which is great news. And I think everyone in this region is really excited about the return of Big Ten football, too. Well, I think they are. And, you know, I, I mean, you know, as soon as uh, Central Arkansas and Austin P. Uh, played on a primetime ESPN Saturday night game. That, I think that really turned up the pressure on the Big Ten to get it done. We, two one AA teams were able to uh, navigate COVID and, and play college football. And I think, you know, the Big Ten kind of looked at that and said, we can't be left out. Now, with that, you've seen other teams in the Mountain West, the MAC, they're, they're going through those discussions now. I'm not sure where that's going to land. But, uh, you know, the Big Ten needs to be a player nationally and to have a college football playoff without a Big Ten team in, in, in the mix, or at least under discussion. I'm not saying that they're going to be selected as one of the top four teams, but you want to be in, in the discussion. You don't want to be left out. And, and they had taken a hit for 40-plus days um, because they were the first conference to um, cancel the season. Uh, so it was kind of 40 days piling on, on the Big Ten, and it was a, a much-needed uh, boost for them to uh, move forward. Certainly is, and you know we don't know who's going to have fans, who's not, how they're going to work that out. You know, you watch some games at the Power Five level completely empty. Some have horizontal stacks, like we saw at Clemson, where they just had the rows and rows of people. That was kind of a mind trip in its own right. But <laughs> whether or that. not you have fans or not, the energy of these games, and that's kind of the peg that I want to get to here, because you know the NBA playoffs right now are in the thick of the conference finals, and I think with that Nuggets-Lakers series particularly, I think I personally have overcome that original uh, kind of disdain or that distance from not having the fans. It's starting to feel like real basketball, and I think that normalcy is kind of settling in now at the perfect time for the NBA. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, you, you, as you watch it and you, and you, and you view it in terms of it, it really has become a, a normal thing for you to view. And, and you, you can almost sense as they continue through the playoffs that the, you know, the intensity always rises, but the crowd is involved in that. Well, they've figured out how to generate their own intensity without the crowd. And you have to give props to, to the NBA. They do a great job with their their audio and, and, and the vi visual side of, the, of that product on, on the court. Um, so that they've done a great job. And, and, and you know, it's, it's become something that you really notice to begin with, I, as you mentioned. Now it's just kind of you're watching the game and you can hear the you can hear the the, the uh, crowd noise, you know, that's piped in, and it really is like watching, uh, you know, another NBA game. Yeah, I know on Sunday Night Football they pump the crowd noise in for the viewers, but they actually don't really pump it into the stadium, so it's kind of a, probably more eerie to be on the field, and that probably takes a longer adjustment than us. You're, you're watching TV, you can kind of zone out and almost forget that there's no fans in the stands with those close-up shots on the field. Well, it's funny because um, as you're watching those NFL games and, and the college football games, hear a lot more of the chatter on the field and uh, a lot of uh, language that, pro that you've never heard before you hear on the field and the banter back and forth, the, the trash talking that really goes unnoticed. You know it's happening. Well, now you're, you're hearing it firsthand and you're hearing what goes on on that football field. Yeah, even still when you uh, watch those NBA games, sometimes the crowd mics cut out real quick and you have to assume yeah, exactly. as to why that is <laughs> happening because they have to uh, do the, the dump 
of the audio to make sure that we don't catch that. But as we come almost into October now, you know, you get to watch college football, NFL starting up, the NBA is in the heat of the conference finals, like we mentioned, and Major League Baseball is coming down the stretch. I mean, so all the the badness of early from March until June or July is now kind of starting to pay off because there's almost something entertaining to watch every single night in terms of sports. And we go to the MLB real quick. Tim, how are you enjoying? I know you're a big baseball guy like I am. How are you enjoying this MLB stretch run here of the 60-game sprint coming to an end? I love it. And I know we've talked in the office about the split season and giving you something to play for in the second half. We talked about 80, 80 games before the maybe uh, all-star break and then 80 games after, almost like a Midwest League format. I just think it keeps uh, you know, you involved in terms of more teams in, in, in the mix. I love it that there's 8 to 10 teams vying for those extra playoff spots. And I'm not saying you're going to expand the playoffs like you have this year, every year, but I just think it, it really gives those organizations uh, something to play for, and there's a little more juice you know, in the product on the field. It gives the fans a lot more to cheer for. Um, I, I love it. It's, it's great to watch. You know, the, the, the Tigers stayed in it for a while, and then they kind of fell by the wayside. But you see so many teams in the mix right now, and it just creates – I know personally, I'm going to the standings every day to see you know, what happened last night, and I probably wasn't doing that before. Well, when you have an expanded playoffs, which Major League Baseball was already going to go to that seven-team in each league playoff format anyway, it's kind of hard to think that you could play 162 games and then jump into a three-round just to get to the World Series postseason and have any kind of sense of urgency. So to me, if you're going to build up the playoffs like that, maybe you do the three divisions first-half winner, three-division second-half winner, and the next best overall record. So you continue to keep the overall record important for 160 or 100. 62 game schedule however you want to break it up but still give that sense of urgency early in the season and that chance for kind of the reboot after the all-star break as well so I agree I think it could be something very interesting for baseball to look at you know obviously baseball has been a uh, kind of in this kind of battle between the archaic and the new age mm -hmm. and that would be just another layer to that argument those four bat flips would probably also be for the season split and vice versa so it'd be interesting to see how the old guard and the new guard could kind of come together to see if that's something that would create that urgency create a little more interest in the game of baseball and kind of bring it back quite honestly because this is probably the first year you're right that people have kind of checked the standings every night because it matters so quickly yeah and you know it's again there's so much going on you have the nhl is in the uh finals in terms of where they're at and they're doing their their uh um bubble in in edmonton and you know so you, you're keeping track of that but there's so much going on you have the stretch run of golf and and you have nascar stuff going on the college football you know amping up in terms of the sec starts this week yep um that, that'll be fun to watch and kind of see how they're going to navigate the fan situation i really haven't you know it's school by school state by state and almost region by region and so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out um uh notre dame and wake forest was canceled this week but that's been rescheduled for next week as they work through the uh covid cases and and the, the NFL again. I think they had zero uh, positive cases again <laughs> this a really week. Good job. It's unbelievable how they have really uh, taken this and 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 they they kind of stayed back and didn't force anything. And but they, they did an outstanding job and uh, and the the product on the field I think is really good right now. 
Anchor Up podcast brought to you in part by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Here for you now more than ever. Confidence with every card. Also brought to you in part by NovaCare. Discover the power of physical therapy with the official physical therapy provider of GVSU Athletics. Well, this is the Anchor Up podcast. Let's talk about a little GVSU Athletics, because even though we can't play games in the fall, we had the next best thing this past Saturday with our Family Day virtual broadcast. And how fun was that, Tim, to get a taste of a game day environment? If you haven't seen it, you can check it out at the GVSN website, watchgvsn.com for the archived broadcast, an hour long, but really brought you all the sights, the sounds, the feel of a GVSU game day. And boy, did we miss that. Well, props to you. You, you hosted the event. It was an hour long show. Uh, from 4 to 5, and uh, there was a live aspect of it, and you did a great job of hosting something, hosting an event that was really not an event. <laughs> I mean, so, so props to you. Uh, yeah, Casey and Maria did an outstanding job. We did have the um, uh, event on the field, which is the, it was the pass. Yeah, the pass, punt, punt and, and kick, kick, not the punt, pass, um, and kick. It was a GVSU student, um, which uh, it was funny because uh, – when she went down there, I was talking to her about, you know, it was pr- a pretty daunting task. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're trying say to go least. from the backside of the end zone <laughs> with one pass, one punt, to set up a field goal on the other end of the field to try to win $10,000. Certainly not easy, but that's why the prize was so high. That's what, that, you know, obviously you have to make it a daunting task and uh, great effort. Her field goal attempt was by far the best um, in, in, ter- in terms of, of the pass and punt. You know, it was a line drive, but I she got across the 50. That's right. And so uh, she had a 70, what, 75-yard field goal basically um, facing her, but she got it across the 50, and uh, she had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, took her p- picture with her friends in, in front of the video board. I know she enjoyed the the aspect, you know, the, the event, and so it was a lot of fun. Great job. Great, great. Uh, I think over over 450 people bought tickets to the event. Yep. Um, and it was a great broadcast, great viewing on social media, so nice job by you. And that's a great point. Yeah, big thank you to those of you who did purchase tickets to the Family Day event, showing both emotional and financial support. And mind you, that went to the entire athletic department, not just to GVSU football. So everybody at GVSU Athletics benefiting from this great event. And thank you to everybody that participated in our Family Day uh, event and fundraiser and broadcast and everything that kind of gave the feel of a family day. Anchor Up podcast brought to you in part by PNC Bank, the official bank of GVSU Athletics for the Achiever in You, and by Earhart Construction, the official construction company of the Grand Valley Sports Network. And so a lot going on across sports in general here in Grand Valley. The student athletes continuing to get to work out. I know the stay in place order has forced them to be a little creative, having to get doctors on the scene. There's been a lot of more moving parts, but a big kudos to I think our athletic department as a whole. You gotta give a lot of credit to Mark Stessner, to Kerry Becker, to all of them who were able to get doctors lined up. I know Matt Mitchell did a great job of finding some doctors, reaching out to coaches, using their resources to find local doctors, to volunteer their time, to come out and make sure that our student athletes could continue to practice, and that's been cool to see. Great job by our coaches. Uh, they they went out and, and, and secured the doctors that had to be put in place um, for our teams to practice, and our student athletes need this. That you know We talked about it in the first show. They want to be out there competing. That's that's. They're here to go to school. They're here to compete and play in the, on, on the fields. There's no competition in terms of games right now. They want to compete in practice. I mean, they were dormant for basically f- five to six months of their athletic career, which they've never been that way. Uh, they, you know, in high school, they were all two, three-sport athletes competing year-round in, diff- in different sports or, it, you know, like the track and field 
uh, cross-country runner, just, you know, running in general. And the, the swimmers, you know, we, we talked to some swimmers who, this is the longest they've ever been out of the pool in their entire life. I mean, and, and so it's, it's very a very confusing time for them. And, but our coaches went out and secured doctors um, and, and did a phenomenal job. The teams are practicing. Um, so kudos to them. And we talked to Tim Selgo partly about that in our interview. We'll get to that in just a bit. Before we do that, let's meet our team of the week presented to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan here for you now more than ever. Confidence comes with every card. And this week it's a twofer because we go back to 2018, the men's and women's cross-country national championship teams. They both won a national championship in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania as part of that awesome fall festival. What an experience for them. Women winning their sixth title in program history. They were led by graduate transfer Sarah Berger, who finished first overall, became the third Laker ever to win the individual cross-country national championship. And then the men finally broke through. They were on the cusp so many times, finally won their first ever title behind now pro runner Zach Panning, who actually finished second overall in that race, despite doing a somersault right off the starting line. So who knows if he could have won an individual national championship had he stayed on his feet on that muddy, muggy course in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You go back to that December, Tim. Remember, we were there. I was there at least. You know, the, the course was just absolutely chewed up by snow that had melted. So muddy, so gross. But that really made for some cool video and some cool uh, visuals, too, to that victory. Well, Jerry Baltus's shoes from that event are in the National Championship trophy case. Caked in um, mud. Caked in mud uh, as, as he runs around the course, you know, with both teams. And it was it's a, it, what a great event. Uh, you know, those festivals are, are, are really fun to be a part of. You have, you know, you have um, soccer and cross country. Yeah, every and fall, other sport fall sport all comes together every four and years, and they rotate which every uh, season as well. So winter right. gets it every four years, spring gets it every four years. 2018 happened to be the fall festival in Pittsburgh, and you had both the cross country teams win national championships, then the GBSU soccer team playing in the national championship. What a fun experience that was for the teams as a whole. But that is our team of the week, brought to you by Blue Cross and Blue Shield. All right, well, Tim Selgo, speaking of women's national champions, that was the sixth one for cross country, and that's a big piece of what we talked to Tim about in the part two of our interview with Selgo as he talks about the rise of women's athletics and also about COVID-19. So enjoy the second part of our conversation with former athletic director Tim Selgo. All of our guest interviews brought to you by Coors Light, reminding you to drink responsibly, distributed locally by Alliance Beverage. All right, here is the second half of our interview with former AD Tim Selgo. I find it so interesting that that seven and four season is actually the one where you see it turning around for the entire athletic department, not those national championship years, but the foresight. And that's kind of where I go next with this, because obviously in the 2000s now, the rest of the GLIAC kind of realizes Grand Valley's rising in so many different sports. 2005, the volleyball team wins a national championship. 2006, the women's basketball team wins a national championship. Those women's sports really started to explode in the mid-2000s. What did you see as the reason behind that? You were not, I, I learned this about you today, that you were a women's basketball coach. So seeing the women's sports rise must have been really special for you too. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, we, uh, when I got here, um, uh, Joan Bond, as, as uh, I call Joan, you know, the uh, grand lady of, of, of Laker women's sports because she was the pioneer. She started and coached just about every women's sport we had here in the – early 70s, the late 70s, then, of course, went on to great success as volleyball coach. And then Joan was our associate athletics director uh, here when I was the athletics director. And Joan was highly valuable to me 
because she could give me the history of Grand Valley and all the issues and all the people from a coach's viewpoint and from an administrator's viewpoint. You know, I got a lot of viewpoints about Brian Kelly when I got here. And a lot of them, quite honestly, weren't real good. And I'm sitting there thinking, this dude's in the top 10 and winning percentage of Division II. Why are these people mad? Why don't they like our head coach? And, you know, it, it, we hadn't won a playoff game. Brian never won a playoff game and all that sort of thing. And, and you know, it, it's, it, you just have to go through some of those things. But Joan could really give me uh, insight from a coach's and administrator's point of view that really helped me out. So she played a huge role in us establishing great programs throughout our athletic department. But it was evident that Grand Valley, in all uh, fairness to those who came before me, back when George McDonald was athletics director, and Ron Minstealen was vice president, they were one of the leaders in division or in Title IX in the state of Michigan. Grand Valley started women's sports, made a commitment to them, uh, put scholarships into them before anybody else did. But by the time I got here, um, you know, er, folks had caught up. A lot of a lot of folks had caught up in the mid-90s with Grand Valley and, and the women's programs. And the one thing that I knew uh, when I came here, I thought our women's programs were underperforming. Now, that wasn't a knock on any of the people involved. We did not have uh, great scholarship uh, situations in a lot of our sports at Grand Valley when I got here, other than football and basketball, and, and volleyball was in good shape. The rest of them weren't in real good shape. And that's one thing that, thankfully, the leadership of the school realized and understood that if we were going to improve competitively, we had to get better talent. That comes back to my early days at Toledo, learning how important recruiting is. And, you know, you got to have some money to be able to do that. Division two is partial scholarships and money talks. And I felt if we could just get on an even footing with people financially with scholarships, we could beat them in recruiting because, especially with women's sports, uh, because we have great health science programs here at Grand Valley. I mean, our, our nursing program, physical assistance, uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, all those great programs we have housed in CHS and the health buildings downtown. You know, we didn't have those buildings at the time but we still have very good programs and we were known for those regionally. And those are programs a lot of young women uh, matriculate to and certainly aspire to coming out of high school and, and establishing their meeting. They may switch when they get to college, but they, they come to college because of the, those types of programs. And you couple that with a beautiful campus and a safe campus. And I thought we could really ramp up our recruiting of women's student athletes. Uh, so when you put the scholarship money on top of it, uh, that's when we took off. And, you know, uh, if, as you mentioned, Jake, if you look at our women's programs, we're clearly the dominant, overall dominant women's athletics program in the country division two, no question about it. Uh, and, and one of the things perhaps I'm most proud of is that we are fully funded in scholarships in women's athletics. We're not on the men's side and never have been. Uh, but we're in good shape. But, but from the women's standpoint, we're fully funded. And, you know, that to me, uh, that's what gender equity is all about. That's what, you know, uh, I think Tyler and I was intended to be. We wanted to give our women's programs the same shot at success 
that, you know, we had in football, quite frankly. And, uh, and uh, we did that. And we've certainly proven that over the years. Yeah, talk a bit about, along with recruiting, you, when you started, you felt like your coaches had to be full-time coaches to hit the road recruiting. And that was an initiative where, for you to hire full-time coaches in the athletic department. Yeah, great point. Because keep in mind, all this took a good 10 years till we hit our stride. I mean, we hit our stride in football. You know, in 02 and 03, we won national championships, all one runners-up. Um, but we started to hit our stride in 05 when we won that volleyball national championship. Then that spring, we won women's basketball. And then Jerry Baltus started really getting a rolling with women's track and cross country uh, and uh, uh, women's uh, 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 golf. Uh, we're in the national hunt. Uh, women's soccer, I think our first one in women's soccer was 08 or 09, a little bit later when Dave DeAnne got it going for us there. But, but it, you're right, Tim. What it, you know, this is about people. People make you successful in college athletics. You know, we're not selling widgets here. All right. We, we, in order to be good in college athletics, you need people. And for us, it started with student athletes in the recruiting process. And that took a financial commitment from the institution with respect to scholarships. That was my number one priority. And I would say, hey, we'll go out and we'll generate more money through sponsorships and fundraising to help us from an operational standpoint. I need you to help me from the institutional level. This is me talking to my vice president president now. I needed the school to fund those scholarships. And, uh, you know, uh, we did 12000 a year. Uh, or at, in 96, 97, we did $12,000 in sponsorship revenue that year. You know, we're doing over a million now a year. And uh, that was – we knew that businesses, uh, you know, the businesses in the Standale – around Meyer there are off the charts now. Back then there wasn't anything. And we had to really hunt for businesses, but we did. And we got the businesses to support us to help us from an operations. But we needed the school from a scholarship standpoint. And then when you talk about people, it comes down to staffing. And as you mentioned, Tim, we had a lot of coaching staffs that had part-time assistant coaches. Uh, uh, so, you know, and we had, we had some head coaches that were part-time. Softball, Doug Woods was also our head athletic trainer. Imagine that today, being both athletic trainer and head softball coach. Baseball coach was part-time. Women's soccer coach was part-time. Track and field and cross-country, part-time head coach. Now, you got six sports there, and, you know, today Jerry's got over 160 kids in the program at least. Back then we only had about 35. And, we're, and people wonder why we're underperforming in these sports. Well, it's no mystery uh, because you have a part-time head coach. So these people had to go out and make a living with a full-time job and then come to Grand Valley in the afternoon for practice. And when were they going to recruit? And so there's no wonder why we weren't very good. Thankfully, though, Don Lovers and Ron Van Steelen and Mark Murray and Tim Shad following that, President Mark Murray and Tim Shad followed Ron Van Steele's vice president. They understood that. They understood that for us to be successful, we had to have the right people in place. And then once we got the right people, we had to hang on to them as long as we could. You know, uh, I'm still somewhat amazed and thankful. Jerry Baltus is still at Grand Valley. You know, I, I said all along, one of my jobs to recruit him every day to stay at Grand Valley. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that, obviously. 
Uh, we hung on to Brian Kelly for 13 years as head coach. We hung on to Dave Deany for 12 years as head coach, you know, Chuck Martin, uh, and so on. So that's the key to, to, to establishing success and maintaining success in programs. You have to have that stability. So it started with elevating these positions from part-time to full-time. And let me tell you something, that took 12 years. That didn't happen overnight. The institution, we didn't have the funding to just all of a sudden do this all at once. We did it year by year. The first year we made uh, softball full-time and got Doug out of being an athletic trainer and strictly softball coach. Then we made baseball full-time. Then we made track and field full-time. Then we made soccer full-time. So that was a four-year period there. And we still hadn't had any full-time assistant coaches. That took another six to eight years. So what you have today in 2020 is a staff uh, you know, we didn't have anything close to that in the late 90s. Uh, but you know what? Uh, we have a bunch of really good people who worked really hard, you know, and uh, loved what they were doing and loved kids, and we had a great school. And when you mix all those together, man, you can make uh, something special happen. And, and you know, thankfully we did because it was a lot of fun, very rewarding. No question. And when you look at, you know, there's two different – challenges right you came into a school that was growing you had to build this basically from the ground up I'm not going to profess I was a great high school football player but the one thing I remember from my days was that second to the end zone mentality where you have to try to even when you're the leader of the pack you have to act like you're chasing somebody to stay at full tilt how are the challenges different once Grand Valley rose to the level that it was the premier school in division two or one of to keep that foot on the gas pedal and keep going forward and keep growing well, that was, that's a great question, Jake. Obviously, uh, one of the challenges was to recruit more talented players than you because we obviously didn't recruit you uh, <laughs> as a high school athlete. But uh, <laughs> you had good people in place uh, in the early 2000s. I know that then. But but that was that was you know really that was a challenge. You know it it never ends. You know I'm I'm often asked, not often, but I've been asked what what you know what what was the period of time when you enjoyed the most. I had 20 great years at Grand Valley. All right. I would tell you, though, Tim, I think maybe you would say the same uh, because you joined us in 97, I believe, is that when we first started going to national championships in football, that might have been the, uh, the best of times because nobody expected it, okay? We hadn't done any of that. Nobody at Grand Valley. Volleyball won a regional championship in 2000. And Deanne Scallon and, and Christy Kale, Carly Miller, and that bunch got us to the national uh, Elite Eight in volleyball, and we lost in the quarterfinal round. But that was our first regional championship. Volleyball got the first one for us. And then in 01, football took off. We got the national championship game. We got an ESPN and so on. That was probably uh, a time when nobody was really expecting us to do well, and we hit it. And hit it big, and, and the school was growing. You know, housing was going up on campus. New buildings were being built. Enrollment was skyrocketing. And we were, you know, we helped lead the way. You know, we helped make Grand Valley have a name outside of Kent and Ottawa County. You know, I think uh, two-thirds of our students in the late 90s were from Kent and Ottawa County. I think only about a third are, less than half are now. And we really helped the institution capture Southeast Michigan. I think Macomb, uh, Oakland, and Wayne counties now provide a third of our students. It's somewhere to that effect. My point was, 
in the late 90s that wasn't the case. And the Grand Valley name, uh, we took our market into Southeast Michigan, and I think athletics played a role in that. It wasn't just athletics, of course, but we played a role in name recognition and branding outside of Kanawha County. And, and so that, that was big for us, and uh, uh, I think it was huge for the school. Uh, and then, you know, once you win a President's Cup, once you win a Director's Cup, you know, everybody tends to like that sort of thing, and they want to keep doing it year after year after year after year. Uh, and I, honestly, from a competitive standpoint, that's what I'm most proud of, that we've been able to do that. We've been able to maintain a high standard, a high level of success uh, because, man, we've had everybody coming after us. We are the target. I, I would talk in the early 2000s that our target keeps getting bigger and bigger every year, and it did. And, you know, we woke the GLIAC up, quite honestly. Um, when I came to Grand Valley in 96, uh, friends in athletics – and folks even here in, in, in Grand Valley and Grand Rapids would describe Grand Valley Athletics as a sleeping giant. Oh, it's a sleeping giant. Oh, man, beautiful campus. They got a nice school. And, you know, Grand Rapids, second largest city in Michigan. It's a, it's a sleeping giant. All right, let's wake the doggone thing up then. And we said about going to do that. And we did. And along the way, I mean, uh, I, I, I'll make this statement. This is my opinion. In the early 2000s, uh, I didn't think the GLIAC was very competitive. It certainly wasn't as competitive as it is today, in my opinion. And I think we played a role in that. You know, everybody in our league got tired of getting beat up at Grand Valley. And they got tired of turning all, all these championships over to Grand Valley. And they picked it up. Uh, they picked up with scholarships. They picked up in facilities. We were the first to put an indoor building in. And I think there are six schools in the GLIAC now that have an indoor building. All right. And, uh, you know, uh, they, they all got serious about hiring coaches. They all started doing a better job of hiring coaches and bringing people in that were really committed to success. And it made it more challenging for us. There were times when, uh, you know, when uh, Colin Finnerty was our coach and, and Kurt Ains and that, that – or I'm sorry, when Colin Finnerty took over for Kurt Ains, and in those years, I mean, we were naming the score. And, and in the middle of the third quarter, we were substituting, and our, our twos got a lot of experience and so on. And that was true in many of our sports, you know, basketball and volleyball and, and, and baseball. And, and that isn't true today. And I give the other schools in our league credit. This is competitive college athletics. I just sit down and roll over and play dead for Grand Valley, do whatever you want. And then the other thing that played a role in that which uh, Jake, what did change things is not only were we, we had become the Yankees of the Division Two, is that when they came to Grand Valley, it was cool. You know, Lubber Stadium is a really cool environment on game day. And, you know, it wasn't in the late 90s. It was a high school environment. And we played on Saturday afternoons, and it was kind of like a, you know, I would describe it as a lot of D3 games are today. No offense to folks in D3. It's great college football, and as was ours. But it wasn't that excitement. And, and thousands of people tailgating and game under the lights, and our marching band has played a huge role in all this. You know, those of you that are there now, you know, we got the best band in the country, Division II, bar none. That's a D1 band, folks, and they're good. Well, we had 50 in the band when I got here. 
And John Martin, our band director, played a huge role in the growth of Barry Martin before him and now John Martin. They played a huge role in the growth of that band and the atmosphere it brings in the, in the college football you know, uh, pageantry that it provides is huge. Those were all the pieces that had to come together. It didn't come over o- overnight. You know, I think a lot of band members, more high school kids wanted to come here, wanted to be in our band. When we started to get good in football and play night games and start getting better crowds. So it all kind of fed on each other and played a huge role in that. But there's no question that, you know, in my 20 years as AD, the first 10 was building the program and hitting it big and, and becoming the leader. And the last 10 was being a leader and have everybody come after you. We took everybody's best shot. I mean, in every sport. Teams would come in here in tennis and baseball and, you know, you name it. Uh, when we have indoor track meets, there are kids trying to set records and doing things for their school because we've got the best atmosphere in Division Two, and we're known as the best. And, you know, quite honestly, I think all of us at Grand Valley can take some satisfaction and reward in that. But we've elevated the GLIAC. We've elevated Division Two athletics. And we've made it, uh, 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 you know, a lot more fun for those student athletes. Because if you go play, you know, a lot of, lot of atmospheres in Division Two, man, you better love to play the game because you're going to a, a high school atmosphere at best and some places worse than that. And it feels almost like a scrimmage. And so you better love to play the game. Those are the kind of kids we were out recruiting the ones that love to play talented, of course, but love to play the game. And then, you know, our jobs as administrators was to make that atmosphere what it is today. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, it's always something for me. I tell one last story about that of what, you know, the growth of it all and what it's become. And, and Tim will understand this. Uh, while I was AD, and even when I get back to a home football game to this day, when our band hits the field and that student section is full, uh, my eyes tear up almost every time because uh, Odie, Rob, late Rob Odieski, when we were, he was marketing director of those first, he died in spring of uh, 2003, uh, you know, uh, that's what we were trying to create. And when they play the song by Journey and our whole student section is singing it, that's what we wanted to create. And every time it happens, it's uh, uh, I get a lump in my throat. And uh, I often uh, will text Odie's brother, Rick, who lives in Phoenix, and then send him a picture uh, or a video that, man, this, this is what Odie helped us create. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to remember those things in athletics because that's tradition. It's important in athletics. None of this happened. The student athletes out there today, and if we get any of them that might want to listen to this, that's a pandemic. Now they might have a little more time in their hands. They can listen to this. They need to appreciate what it is uh, today because uh, a lot of us that were here at those times, uh, it it wasn't quite like that. And again, it's rewarding to see. Yeah, it's a great message. And, you know, we're going to, this interview has been fantastic, Tim. So thank you so much. And we're going to split this up probably into two parts because we've gone so long. Like you said, a lot more people have time on their hands. I don't know if they have the full two hours to listen to us, but. uh, Well, Jake, hey, I'm, you know, I'm semi-retired now. I've got my new (laughs) career, my second career as a consultant and author and speaker. Uh, But as I tell all my clients, you need stories. I got stories, man. I've been in college athletics 40 years. I got stories for you. So. 
Uh, we can go into two parts. Uh, we can go three parts if you want to. I love talking sports. No question. Like, it's probably a good music to your ears is some basketballs dribbling in the background now as our student athletes are getting back to some, some normalcy. They can get back to training this week. And that's kind of where I wanted to go to as we finish up this. We'll probably have you on again down the road, but this first kind of time we talk to you on this podcast is where do you see, A, college athletics going, and B, with this COVID pandemic, what are some positives maybe that you see that college athletics can take to turn this into an opportunity to come out of this stronger than they ever were? Well, I, you know, anytime adversity hits, and we're in adversity right now, I mean, no question about it. It's one of the great lessons you learn in college athletics. I've always said two things you learn in college athletics that I certainly learned a million years ago when I was a college student athlete that held me to this day in, in, in good service are, one, college athletics teaches you how to overcome adversity. You're going to face adversity every day as a collegiate student athlete. Every day you go out there for that workout, for that practice, you're going to fail. And you're probably going to have a coach reminding you of that. And you have to learn to get better and learn to improve. And, uh, and so that's, that's a huge teaching point of college athletics. The second one is you can learn to compete. I mean, it's a competitive environment we're in. And you know what? When you graduate as a student athlete, uh, when you, if you become a teacher, you better learn to compete. And, and we defined competition at Grand Valley during my time as uh, competitive greatness, coming through with your best effort, best performance, what is most needed. If you're a teacher in the classroom today, those parents expect your best effort, best performance, what is most needed. It's needed now, okay? Hopefully parents will appreciate teachers a lot better now, having had them at home last spring for a while, right? But it's a tough world for teachers right now. And, you know, I, I would be willing to bet you that a lot of uh, former student athletes are in the classroom right now, and they benefited because they went through some tough times as a college student athlete. They went through injuries and illness and losses. And, you know, I think of what Kurt Ains and, and those guys went through, and Brett Lesniak is teaching little kids today. You know, it, it's tough. And uh, uh, athletics teaches those things. So, uh, you know, I, I, I've been asked a lot about the pandemic. I don't, you know, anybody that says they know what's going to, you know, happen. I mean, we've gone week to week now and not knowing what's going going on, right? All we know is this. This is a serious deal. And uh, whenever you're faced with adversity, I learned this from my dad. When times are tough, revert back to the fundamentals. And he would talk about keep it simple, stupid all the time. The KISS method of teaching. When times are tough, keep it simple. So let's go back to the fundamentals. And I think for student athletes, there's an opportunity here to work on their game, to work on their fundamentals, whatever it might be, whatever sport it might be. You know, especially young student athletes. Youth today, you know, they have organized sports all over the place for them. And maybe they don't take as much time to work on their hitting only or fielding or shooting or kicking or uh, backhanded tennis. You know, they just competition all the time. So maybe it's a time for all athletes everywhere to go back to work on your fundamentals, get better at the fundamentals. And so honestly, I think in college uh, athletics, because they're allowed workouts of some sort, you know, I think these kids should come back next year, bigger, stronger, quicker, and perhaps fundamentally a little more skill. I think we might see a high level of athletics once they get back in the swing of things. I think we might see a higher level of play uh, because of it. I think things will get back to reasonably normal 
you know, this isn't the first time in sports we've been through this. On my blog, I, I put a piece in there about uh, the Spanish flu, 1918, 1919. Same things were being talked about today that were talked about then. But remember, professional baseball was the major sport then. And by fans had to wear masks at games. And with fans not wearing masks at games, it helps spread that flu. And they think the spread, uh, athletics helps spread the Spanish flu because uh, people weren't social distancing, people weren't wearing masks. And it was politically driven and blah, 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 everything we're here today, right? Uh, World War II, you know, there's, there's, there's record books everywhere that don't have records in 43 and 44. You know, Ted Williams, who knows what his stats would have been. He has spent two years in the Air Force during World War II. So this isn't the first time we've encountered this. It's the first time our generations have. And so we'll get through this. I'm, I'm quite confident of that. I just hope we get through it without anybody dying, without any tragedies. You know, I think that, that's, the, that's the main part. And I applaud the leaders everywhere that are being safe rather than sorry because, uh, you know, this is, a, this is nothing to mess around with. And so, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be challenging to get back to normal. Uh, let's hope. I, I tell all my clients, you got to hope and pray for two things. One, a vaccine. Once we get a vaccine, it won't immediately solve every problem, but it'll start to put us on the path to getting back to normal. Okay? And two, if you're in college athletics, you better pray for March Madness this March. Okay? We didn't have it last March. And March Madness funds the operation of the NCAA office and the NCAA championships. It doesn't fund all of college athletics like the media kind of make it sound, but it funds all those championships, all those Laker teams go to. It's paid for by the NCAA, or the vast majority of it is paid for by the NCAA because of that contract for the men's basketball tournament. Okay, let's get real specific here. It comes down to that. And if that doesn't happen for a second year, it will change the landscape until it comes back. It will change the landscape in championships, I think, in the next uh, a, a couple of years because the funding won't be there to pay for 64 basketball teams to go to the Division Three and Division Two basketball tournaments. It might get cut down to 32. Or it might be 64, but every school has to pay their own way. And that, you know, obviously that'll change things. Every campus is uh, undergoing tough financial times. So uh, th that's a real key moment for everybody, Division Two and Division Three, no question about it. It's a big, big part of the budgets of those two divisions of the championships and, and of course, staffing. So, uh, you know, but it's, it's, it's going to be, I think, tough sledding for all of us in the world uh, until we get a vaccine and get past this. And uh, I sure hope and pray, though, our leaders are preparing for the next one better than we've prepared for this one. The great plan the championships is, too, kind of the reason, you know, you talk about championship excellence at Grand Valley State. You know, if you don't have that carrot at the end of the stick, it's really hard to play those seasons with that same competitive veracity. But, Tim, you've got great stories for days, like you said, and I want people to have full access to them. So before we let you go here, you're the first guest on the Anchor Up podcast, and we appreciate it. Uh, but tell people how they can find your two books, Anchor Up and Make One Play. Okay, let me, let me make one quick point, Jake. You made a great point there that most people don't understand about college athletics. And that is the carrot, 
the fun in college athletics is postseason, whether it's conference postseason tournament or NCAA post, that's when it really gets fun. And so I learned that at Toledo. I was fortunate enough to play in the Sweet 16, play in two NCAA tournaments as a basketball player in Toledo. And so I knew that's what, you know, that was the long-term vision. We didn't know when I got here in 96 how good we could be. We had, I had no idea how we could, if we could compete nationally or not. But I knew that for college student-athletes, it's a grind. For every sport, it's a grind. It's a lot of practice, a lot of training, and that carrot needed to be there. So that was part of the vision. Let's get to where we can compete in postseason, and thankfully we've done that. So that I tell a lot more stories in both of my books, Anchor Up and Make One Play. Thank you for the uh, shout-out for those, and thank you for the segue into that. Uh, both books can be found on Amazon. You can go to Amazon and uh, just Google uh, Tim Selgo and, uh, and, or Make One Play and Anchor Up, and, and they'll pop up, and, and they can get both books on, uh, on there. And anybody out there, if they would ever like me to sign their books, I'd be more than happy to do that. Uh, we can make arrangements to do that. And, uh, and I, I would enjoy that. So uh, thanks a lot for uh, uh, sharing that and, and allowing me to talk a little bit about my books. Absolutely, Tim. And thank you so much for coming on, sharing some of your stories with us. We look forward to talking to you again down the line, but really appreciate your mindset, your time today as well. Thank you so much for joining us at the first ever guest on the Anchor Up podcast. Thanks, Tim. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And by the next time we talk, book number three will hopefully be on the mark. <laughs> All right, that's Tim, and we come back with a different Tim. Tim not back with us, and Tim, I think one of the big things that Selgo talked about in that interview was talking about getting back to the basics. And we've talked about earlier in this show the ability for our student-athletes to continue to practice, continue to train, continue to hone their craft, no matter what the obstacles may be internally or externally. But that's so huge, is getting back to the basics and maybe turning this negative into a positive in the long run. Well, you're seeing that with how our student-athletes are training right now. Um, you can't go in the weight room, have to, you have to find ways to strengthen condition on your own with the push-ups, with the setups, doing the planks, and doing things that really these kids have never had to do. Now, back in the day, before they had the extravagant weight rooms and all the uh, strength and conditioning uh, uh, coaches out there, you know, that's how student-athletes would, would train push-ups, setups, you know, all, all that stuff. So they're getting back to that and, and you know, just – honing their skills and doing the little things that have made them successful. Anchor Up Podcast brought to you in part by Homewood Suites Grand Rapids. Enjoy all the comforts of home at the only extended stay hotel in downtown Grand Rapids. Also brought to you by Uccello's, where great food and sports come together. All right, let's get to some segments. First up, we have the Laker Spotlight. It's brought to you by Ziegler Automotive. Every week, we shine a light on a would-be senior here in the fall of 2020. We try to stay in season as well so here in the fall we honor fall seniors in the winter we'll do the same for basketball swimming and diving etc so this week we shine a light on Seth Steinwasher from the women's soccer team she's a three for three first team all-american at center back she's earned the GLIAC defensive player of the year in each of the last two seasons and was named to the 2019 all NCAA tournament team to help lead the Lakers to their sixth national title in program history. She's from Sterling Heights, graduate of Henry Ford II High School, majoring in physical education, and Tim, she's been stout for the Lakers. Even though she's only, I think, 5'6", she's been incredible along that Laker back line and been a key piece for Jeff Hostler's team literally since the day she stepped foot on campus here in Allen. So dependable, I mean, in terms of being the right place at the right time and just 
a leader on that team and, and, and the strength and the tenacity that she brings to the to the uh, soccer field you know you can understand why she's thought so highly of in terms in the, in the soccer world Absolutely, and that's why she's a unanimous first-team All-American each of her first three seasons, which is just incredible to think about being a freshman, being in that pressure situation, getting that All-America. And then, Tim, I think it's almost harder after you were an All-American to try to turn around and repeat that performance as a sophomore. Now everybody knows who you are. You've kind of set that expectation, and you have to live up to it. Well, and you're exactly right, Jake, and in terms of you know just living up to that the responsibility and, and, and being better each year because you're – you're treated differently. I mean, you're viewed differently. You have to, you know, you have to be uh, on that high standard all the time. So, kudos to her. Kudos to her. Kudos to the Lakers as well. As I mentioned, reign, reigning national champions on the soccer field. That's our Lakers spotlight brought to you by Ziegler Automotive. And now we have our great moment in Laker history. The Randy Catterberg Agency brings us this one. And we always turn to Tim Knott for a great moment. We kind of teased this one, talked about it early. You and I kind of prepare for our segment separately. And we both just so happened to pick almost the same exact moment. So I'll turn to you for our great moment in Laker history of the week. Well, it's funny because when I looked at your sheet and I, I'd already put this together and I looked at, at, at your um, uh, uh, team, I was like, well, wait a minute. But the moment was the men's cross-country team breaking through. They had been so close so many times. Four runner-up finishes for the men's cross-country team under Jerry Baltus. And, the, you know, you really felt bad for them. They were so close so many times. Just couldn't quite, you know, get over the hump. And they did it in 2018. Um, eight, you know, after four runner-up uh, finishes, Zach Panning finished second. Like you said, Josh Steibel was in the top ten, leading the way for the Lakers. You know, they'd won, they've won 18 consecutive uh, regional titles, 18 consecutive GLIAC titles, but that 2018 team uh, broke through, and that's our uh, uh, moment to hear uh, in terms of for Laker athletics. And, you know, I know Jerry Baltz was so happy for that group of, of young men to uh, get that first national championship for the men's cross-country team. Absolutely, especially when you're so close so many times. And to finally get over that hurdle has to just be an incredible feeling. And, you know, the women had, you know, had won five titles prior to that, and so that their sixth was was that day. You know, they were, you know, they were always, the, you know, second on the podium, and so it, it was a great boost for that program to get that first championship. That is your great moment in Laker history, brought to you by the Randy Catterberg Agency. The Anchor Up Podcast, brought to you in part by DTE Energy. Know your own power. And by Mervine Beverage, proudly distributing Bud Light, who reminds you to drink responsibly. So we take a look at those segments, Tim. You take a look at where the Lakers are as a whole right now as an athletic department, able to get back to training, of course, still knowing that there will be no competitions until at least January. So right now, if you're a student athlete, if you're a coach, before we get out of here here today, where do you go from here? What's your next step? As you know, usually in a season, you do training for a couple of weeks, and then that leads into getting ready for games, and that leads to playing games. Now you don't have that, so it's a longer training process. So how do you mentally compartmentalize right now and continue to train and continue to, without that carrot at the end of the stick like we talked about with Tim Selgo, how do you keep yourself motivated here in these next few weeks? Well, I think you have different groups here. You have your veterans, your upperclassmen, who you're just trying to kind of keep them to where they are, you know, really looking forward to coming back and playing in the in the spring and next fall. And you're kind of treating them differently. You just want to kind of give them, um, keep them in condition. They know how to compete. They know how to play in the games. And so you're just kind of, you know, keeping them healthy and uh, rehabbing any, any injuries and just kind of um, 
let, giving them the hope that we're going to play. For the younger kids, it's just a, like you said before. You know, it's it's a building the base. How do you practice? You know, so coaches are, are able to spend more time with the younger kids now because they're not preparing for games. They can spend more time teaching these student athletes how to practice, how to show up every day, how to be consistent, build on every day to get better. And so I, they're spending more time with the younger kids in terms of getting them ready for you know in the spring or the fall and i think you're going to see more you're going to see opportunity for more kids to play earlier in terms of 2021 those freshmen who you spent more time uh you know honing their skills they might be ready to play earlier yeah that's a really good point matt mitchell actually brought it up during our interview on the uh, family day broadcast about how this redshirt freshman class might be in the best shape of any freshman class in history because they're going to be so ready and have so many reps before they actually see the field that it could be a real positive for those young players and for the Laker football team especially. You know, he talked specifically about the secondary because they had all those seniors last year that graduated. Now you're trying to find, other than Antonio Strong really, some new players to step up into those roles and a lot of those young players that they were really excited about anyway now getting all these reps and getting to get better and better at a position that has such a high demand for not only technique, reaction, and so many things that happen so quickly out in the secondary that it'll, it'll be good to see if the Lakers can turn that into a positive down the road. And speaking of getting better every week, we hope we're getting better every week. We hope you're enjoying the Anchor Up podcast. And Tim, unless you got anything else, I think that's our show. No, great job, Jake. As always, a fun one with Tim Knott. We'll be back next week. Don't forget to follow us on social media at GBSU Lakers for all the updates throughout the week. But until then, we talk to you next week. Have a great week, everybody. And as always, anchor.